Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. All right, everyone, welcome back to Data Protection Gumbo. I'm Demetrius Malbro, your host. And today on the show, I have the co-founder and CEO of Carbide, Darren Gallup. And he is a, a cybersecurity expert. And also he runs a cybersecurity firm that provides businesses of all sizes with the tools they need to adopt a strong cybersecurity and privacy posture. So Darren, how are you today? And and welcome to the gumbo. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on the show. Why don't you start us off with giving us maybe your your story around getting to the CEO and co-founder spot of, of Carbot. Yeah, it's a it's 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 definitely not a straight forward journey. Went to university after two years of spending lots of money to mostly have a lot of fun and meet a lot of people and party and, and have no, no having no idea what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> uh, I, I, I left school after two years, went on an exchange program overseas, which was really eye-opening. And, you know, they, the expression, go over, go to Europe and find yourself. Uh, I don't know what I was doing over there, but, uh, you know, I found that I had a lot of uh, big dreams and uh, actually, you know, grew up in a very, very musical, very artsy family. My mom owned a dance business, a dance sc- and art school. Um, so that's what I grew up around. I actually came to the conclusion um, on this exchange program that I wanted to take a crack at being a professional musician and seeing, uh, seeing what that was going to be. And so came home and uh, got fast to work in starting a band, had one band. Uh, we ended up, you know, having some regional success, but mostly fought all the time and disagreed about everything, including every song we ever wrote and what we were going to do and where we were going to play and who we were going to play for. And then I ended up, uh, you know, going and becoming a session musician for a while, doing a bunch of gigs there. And you ended up about eight years, eight years of it um, with a few different bands, got into record production because I started getting a little tired of the road after a while. So, uh, you know, engineering and producing records, I, I, Worked on probably 25, 28 records, something like that. Started a record label in 97, 98, um, and, and ran that for a few years. Ended up becoming an EMI affiliated label. Um, of course, you know, uh, things like like Napster and the whole drop of the economy and the music industry change and our record label. We struggled. It's a hard business. As I learned the hardware, it's a hard business at the best of times. And of course, you know, the certain things happen in the world. So 2008, I started my first technology company. I built a company by the name of Mercado and it was an event management platform that effectively it was, you know, a SaaS company for, for businesses when, you know, most of us weren't really using SaaS companies and we managed the back end. So the whole premise was helping manage the logistics and the chaos that happens in building and managing large cultural events like music festivals. And by 2014, we were the back end by some of the of the some of the biggest music festivals in the world. We had customers like Bonnaroo, Coachella, Burning Man. We even had sports events like X Games, comedy festivals like Just for Laughs festivals. And not only in the U.S. and Canada, but we were also in Mexico and in Australia and all over Europe. We were effectively by the time we 
sold that company in 2018. We were operating in 23 different countries uh, with events, cultural events of all types. And that's really where this whole uh, engagement around security happened. As we started getting more uh, more involved, our platform grew and we started working with more uh, you know, commercial events that are owned by enterprises like Disney-owned properties and AEG properties and Live Nation properties. They were very concerned about the large amounts of data that we were storing and processing. Uh, they were very concerned about their dependence on us as a small company up here in Canada that you know our availability requirements were substantial. If we went down for 20 minutes at an impromptu time, it could have massive Im- impact. So data integrity, data availability, um, yeah, confidentiality, all that stuff was really critical in that business. And it really forced me to learn a ton about cybersecurity. We had to go through uh, the process of having our infrastructure reviewed by a third party. Of course, we were all you know, music guys who were into tech, who were building software, and it was all about make it work, make it look pretty good. And uh, you know, we weren't, we didn't know, we didn't have the education. So, you know, obviously when we started going through these assessment processes, there was a lot of discovery that wasn't super positive. So really forced us to up our game. We had to go through a SOC 2 audit. We, audit, we had to do an ISO 27001 audit. Um, and then, you know, by the end, when I was good doing, uh, you know, before I sold it, we had to go through all the preparational process to become compliant with GDPR. And that was, uh, you know, another lift. So that, those those years from 2014 right to the end, that's four years where I was, I would say about 50% of my time was actually focused on building a security program, upgrading the security of our, our web application and our processes and our other tools, our on-prem technology, and implementing data privacy and, and learning all the while of doing wow. it. Wow. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. how I, you know, pretty weird, you know, I, I think if you went back and found my long haired, you know, uh, uh, me in the back of a van and, and, and going on tour with some funk rock band and told me I was going to be the CEO of a, co- a cybersecurity company. I'm, I'm not even sure I would have understood what that even means. Uh, so uh, certainly wasn't a path that was deliberate. Um, but, you know, I think for me, what I what I found really fascinating when we were going about this process and started in 2014 is that a lot of the infrastructure, a lot of the tools out there at that time, a lot of the policy templates and other things that we, that we had access to were really designed around more like not the old, old school, like the perimeter, yeah, the physical network, stuff, physical enterprise stuff, right? security, like yeah, and it was like there was not really a lot of stuff around cloud, around like remote work, around like working on the go. The language was very technical, like a lot of the policy templates that we would have downloaded from some of the some of the different sources really sounded like it was like the lawyers and the really techie people got together and wrote, uh, you know, the kind of stuff that I didn't really think my employees would understand or relate to. And I just felt like, you know, I remember when, when we initially looked at the problem, I was like, oh, I'll just go to like a SANS website and download some stuff and, you know, find all org name change to Mercado and just ship that off to our, our employees and thumbs up. But, you know, it was really quickly we realized that. Let me ask you this. That that was a, a great explanation of your background. And I love the the whole music aspect of it and, you know, being able to, I guess, produce music and record company. I mean, are there any parallels with music production and running a, a company uh, or producing music or any parallels between music and cybersecurity? I'm just talking maybe from a procedure and process perspective. If, if you've ever thought of that before. Absolutely. And I've thought about it to depth in depth. 
So outside of cybersecurity, just the general running a business, it's it's a business and the human factor and the leadership and the communication, all that. It doesn't matter, I think, what whether you're in a political environment, uh, whether you're in a small business or an enterprise, that stuff is, translates very well from industry to industry. Specific to security, we think about the CIA triad, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Um, my All my recording and production work that I did was all in a digital environment. So, you know, some of the early stuff we were using tape, but, you know, people, the, the convenience of being able to like take another take and take a little section there and copy and paste that. And th- that really took on quickly. So, you know, when I started doing engineering, the first thing I needed to do was I didn't have a, I didn't understand the the computer system into the degree of depth that I felt I need to to really run a system availability. If somebody's taking the you know making the best cut of their their track everywhere and the, the vibes go and everyone's smiling, it's like yeah, they know this is the best cut ever, and they're going and they got hired musicians in, and all of a sudden you're like oh oh shit, oh no, you know, you know an, an error in your system fails, right? So you know right there out of the gate, uh, you know through trial and error, I had to learn to make sure that that system was always ready. It was always going to run. So segregating it from being online, not installing any applications that have not, that, that aren't specific to the recording. So really building a purpose-built machine and turning off any functionality to make sure it's stable, to make sure when we need that machine on, it's available to go. And when those musicians are there, the clock is ticking. People are, are you know flying into for a recording and there's there's a lot of stakes and there's nothing that'll that'll derail a musician or make your make people more mad at you than uh, you know uh, sorry I lost that take and then so you know moving on integrity like you've got a bunch of different files you got people recording tracks in different studios you got to bring all that stuff together you have timing and sync and you've got to make sure your bit rates and your uh, you know all these things are proper so you know and I've had this happen I've had the bad experience of oh no all these tracks are out of sync you know how do we yeah. reconstruct this and, and of course. Yeah, like all that kind of stuff, right? So integrity, availability, absolutely critical. Uh, you know, I've seen cases where people recorded all day and didn't realize that they didn't have their timing clock set. And then there's this clicking sound and, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, integrity in the data so that all the track's not usable. And then and then confidentiality. I mean, you're, you're basically, you could be working with an artist for six months or more on what's to them a very important release. And you've got, you're, you're making rough mixes all the time for people to be able to listen to in their car and their headphones, try it in different stereos, share it with their label, doing things like that. So you, know, you had to share data, you had to put these files in a way that they're online. So yeah, and I mean, we had an incident once. We had an incident where somebody breached a, a bunch of rough mixes, uh, you know, months and months before a record went out. I mean, these are real problems. And that like that was something that caused a lot of friction between myself and the client. So yeah, definitely a lot of parallels, certainly when you're talking about the music production component uh, in a big way. And so like when I when I went in, like, like I, I spent a lot of time focusing on making sure, and, and you know, you learn sometimes, unfortunately, through the bad experiences. But it, you know, thought a lot about making sure stuff was confidential, making sure the integrity of sessions were always dialed, and redundant backups. Like you wouldn't leave a studio with both the like. What if you know? Imagine if you got robbed and you've got your computer with one version of the of the of the month's work, and then you've got your backup hard drive. So I would literally leave a hard drive at a studio 
take one with me, take, you know, send one home with one of the bandmates so they have it and then tell the studio they can ship me the hair drive once I knew that both me and the bandmate were home. So, so absolutely, like I really consider a lot of that time I spent running, uh, you know, the engineering componentry of, uh, you know, professional recordings. To me, that was, that was time in the trenches learning about, you know, some of those core principles uh, of data security. Yeah. And I, I, I just love that music analogy. And, as you were mentioning, uh, keeping, you know, one hard drive in the studio, taking one with you and then taking shipping one off to somewhere else. So that sounds like the old three, two, one strategy and backup principle of keeping three different copies on two different media types and making sure that one of those copies is stored off site somewhere, uh, which is which is super critical. Now, I, I want to also talk about you. You have a, a CISO title, co-founder, CEO, but. I know you have the CISSP as well, so you, you're really deep uh, from a security perspective. And, you know, and based on the studies, it's a very stressful job, right? I, I just did an episode maybe one or two ago, and we talked about the dirty little secrets of being a CISO. And she mentioned that it was a very stressful job, and it wasn't quite what she thought she was signing up for because <laughs> it's just a lot that goes into it. Have you seen some of these stressors and, and, and give some advice to the Gumbo listeners how to, I guess, be prepared and proactive to minimize some of those stressors when it's coming to kind of reducing the risk in your environment? Yeah. So one of the things I'll say right out of, out of the gate is that my experience in running a cybersecurity program, I think, is 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 fairly unique because being the CEO and being a board member and a, a you know substantial shareholder in the company, I don't have to deal with a lot of the challenges that that you know talking to my other friends that are CISOs that have to go to uh, management and request funding and have to you know have to get buy-in across various different departments and ports of the organization. So I, I think that's one of the challenges that I've seen in, with some of my friends that are CISOs is they they feel that a lot of the times they they are not able to get the buy-in they need across the organization. And that might be resources in terms of, so they know they're not doing a great job necessarily, or there's certain vulnerabilities that they would like to see remediated faster, but they're not able to get the allocation out of the board or out of senior management. Um, so that's one thing that I feel, um, you know, I, I can do a lot of the stuff myself and I can make decisions and I can really report that. I think for when I, when I talk to my CISO friends about how do you mitigate that, you know, I always recommend that they take courses on leadership and read books that are more on like, you know, how can you think about how do you present these topics in a more articulated, in a more urgent way and really talk about risk, thinking about risk through an organizational lens and, and maybe, you know, try to de-acronyme, like, you know, don't use all the acronyms and, and, and really think about like, look at what your organization really focuses on. A lot of times it's things like net revenue retention and it's, you know, growth and it's margin and it's reputation and it's market perception and all these things and take examples of where, you know, you see the risks in your risk assessment could potentially cause, uh, you know, major issues, but really apply that to where the business and leadership is really thinking about the business as their priorities. Take real life examples. So an example I'd say is like, if you're a 150 person company and you're the CISO of that company, don't use the, you know, the Equifax or the target breach as an example, because that's not going to resonate. Find companies that look like the company that 
uh, you're in and find real life examples. So, um, you know, I was talking to a car dealership network. Uh, they were concerned about some things. Every example I used, I went and did some research. Like, what are some examples of some really bad things that have happened to car dealerships? roughly the same size as these ones. So it's like, there's a lot of people will naively think, oh yeah, well, you know, Target, like we're different. Was, we're that, Target. was that chat GPT that, that you use to do that? <laughs> I do. I do use chat GPT a lot of times to try to find, uh, you know, it can be helpful in finding things. It, it also lies sometimes. So I think you yeah, have to hallucinate. You have to validate. There's definitely some hallucination that happens in and across the the the, the large language models uh, still. So you know, it's a good place to get some ideas and some potential sources. But certainly, uh, dig deeper than just the what GPT brings to the table. But yeah, that that's one side of it. You know, the other areas where I, you know, people that I've talked to that are in that role that don't have the same degree of authority and leadership within the business is they always feel like if something bad happens, that they're getting the boot. And, you know, if you look at it, there's a lot of cases there. A lot of organizations decide there's somebody's got to, we got to, you know, there has to be a sacrificial lamb in this, in this followed. And often it's, uh, you know, I think that's a bearing of stress that I know some of my colleagues and friends that are in that CISO or that security leadership role in organizations feel. I don't feel that um, because, you know, that's a, Worst case scenario, they'd be like, okay, we got to get a dedicated, and we've actually, I think I told you in our last call, uh, we've actually, uh, you know, I've actually removed myself more and more from that role because I actually have one of the challenges I find in my role is there is a bit of conflict of interest, conflict of time, conflict of time, right? Like I started delegating more and more of the security responsibilities in the business to make up for the growing corporate responsibilities my role evolves as, as the CEO. And you know, I, I I think when you're really small, it's it's fine. You know, you have to wear multiple hats and you got to spin plates. Like in my last company, I owned the cybersecurity program. Well, for, uh, the first half of the that company, there wasn't a cybersecurity program. So I certainly, you know, that was naivety and youth and just not knowing. And, uh, you know, but once we realized and, and customers clarified what what their expectations were, I owned that and I, and I wore both those hats um, in that business. But in this business, yeah, I, I've, I, I did for quite a long time, but but we now have uh, another individual in the business that, that owns that. But, you know, having my my experience and knowledge in it, I ask more pointed questions. And I certainly make, uh, uh, and this is another thing that I think a lot of CISOs struggle with is I, and, I, and, a, and a belief, this falls into a belief that I've uh, come to o- over the observation of hundreds of companies and what companies do well at security and which ones don't. If senior leadership, more specifically the CEO, is not behind the program and is not somewhat participating and isn't leading by example, the program is BS. I can tell you right now, I can talk to the CEO and just have a conversation and just by the attitude, I guarantee you with about 90% accuracy, I can give you pretty good insight on how strong the security program in the business is. And if the CEO's like, oh yeah, we got a, you know IT deals with that, I guarantee you when you start peeling back the layers of the onion, you're going to find all kinds of skeletons in there. But when the CEO knows what they do, can talk about the role that they have, says that they see reports, you know, when they when they can talk about it with that acumen and that degree of, of, of importance and knowledge, 
then I guarantee you your your findings will be much uh, will be much lighter in terms of you know there's always opportunity to improve every security program. There's no such thing as perfection, but that is a huge indicator. Yeah, and the CEO definitely. So it has to be a top down approach, right? Where the CEO is the one that's fully accountable, right? Because we we've seen cases where some of the casinos, right, they they were breached, and also I think it was Solar Winds. Uh, now they were actually going after CISOs um, as well and the CEO of the company as well because they're both the accountability or they're, they're the data owners, right, at the top of the food chain. So from a compliance perspective, it's really critical. And so cybersecurity should be a business enabler instead of a hindrance to just let's zero trust everything and <laughs> and and don't give our employees access to proper access and authority to access what they need to at that level and at that layer um so one thing i i do want to ask as well is just around artificial intelligence there's a lot of hype around it and we mentioned chat gpt have have you worked with any large language models and what what's your thoughts or predictions for AI and cybersecurity? Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've worked I'm working pretty closely with a variety of different models. Where you know both older, more more simplistic sort of decision tree expert expert system type models, which you know we've used uh, for some time now in how we uh, you know automate some of the uh, proceduralization of our governance risk compliance platform. Um, we have built. Uh, an integration with an LLM, where we are using the LLM to assist in document prep, uh, document generation around things like procedures, policies, uh, checklists. Uh, we're actively using that kind of stuff. Uh, recently, took a an online course uh, offered uh, created by Wharton Online, uh, Penn State University, on AI for business. Just to just to just to learn what what's going on out there and what are what are some of the studies and what are people thinking. Um, you know, we're, we are actually working currently on, uh, some policy and documentation, best practices, implementation of some sort of control framework, uh, that covers AI governance. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of legal activity happening globally at various different levels of jurisdiction. So it's, uh, you know, I, I think people have been kind of sleeping around AI and then all of a sudden things took that very incremental whack you know, now it's real. And, uh, you know, I think governments and, and policymakers are uh, scrambling around trying to figure out, you know, how do they manage that? There's a lot of questions around ethics. There's a lot of questions around data privacy. There's a lot of just questions around security, uh, accuracy, uh, things like that. And and the IAPP, the International Association of Privacy Professionals, is coming out with a certification uh, program. They're building it right now. They expect it to launch and be te- you can be tested on it in this quarter. It's called the AIGP, Artificial Intelligence Governance Professional. Uh, and they have a whole common body of knowledge and everything that they've built out. I'm actually uh, you know, reviewing and studying, studying from that. Some of my stuff that I did at the Wharton Online uh, actually covers, and it was part, partly in, partly the thinking around that was some preparedness for, um, you know, understanding some, some of the componentry before uh, you know, reading the the common body of knowledge and getting ready. I will assumably do that cert. We are seeing, we see a lot of our companies either specializing in AI products or adding AI as a core component. So, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, questions that our customers are asking us about ethics and, and, and security and legal concerns. So, you know, we're very aggressively upskilling ourselves 
um, on that governance component, on that compliance, how it affects security, privacy, things like that. And using and building within tools, we're training models, we're testing models internally. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think if I were to talk about how I expect what I predict AI will do, there's already a lot of things AI has changed in cybersecurity, both on the malicious actor side and on the uh, you know the protection side. So the good guy, bad guy, the bad guys. Well, remember when you used to get those emails and it was very obvious that John Smith is probably in another country and English isn't his best suit. Well, that's there's no excuse for that anymore. You can take your broken English email, dump it into ChatGPT and and have it write that email in a more convincing way. Or you could just write it in your mother tongue if that's, you know, whatever you speak Spanish or French or whatever, and have it write that, you know, really contextualize it into English. You can even have it, you know, like, for example, if I had a couple of examples of you writing emails or blog posts or stuff like that, I could train a GPT chat window to write like you and to really identify and break out what are the what are the words? What's the tone? How do you write? What do you not say? What do you say. And then I could write emails the way I write emails and have it translate, build a custom chat tool that would effectively take what I write and spit it out in the way you write. Right. So, and I could even do that voice wise. I could take a recording of you talking in this very podcast episode and I could talk and in real time, it would use your accent and the way you use words and your intonation and all of that stuff. Right. So, you know, that's just, and that's just the surface. There's also really strong automation tools that are popping up in the dark web that are basically like, you know, ransomware as a service or other sort of malicious software as a service tools that, that, you know, people can automate certain parts of the process, whether that's going out and scoping, you know, generating leads or scanning websites or scanning web applications, looking for known vulnerabilities. So, you know, that's only going to just keep uh, growing exponentially. So, you know, it's kind of like if you think about it, and at the same time, we've got these, these you know, intrusion detection uh, prevention tools and these antivirus tools, anomaly detection tools in various different areas that are, are you know, whether it's scanning emails, scanning attachments, uh, scanning network activity, cloud activity, that are starting to become more intelligent. So the old days of just reading logs, which is like, uh, this happened, that mm-hmm, happened, what right. does this all mean? Yeah. You talking a, a a million lines can be analyzed in like a sec couple seconds with AI, right? Yeah. So it's like a very complicated version of if you me- think about like you know somebody came up with a radar detector once somebody came up with a radar gun so the coppers could catch us speeding and then somebody's like oh I got an idea we can detect that radar frequency and I'll drop that in the car so now that you know the, the speeders that are really committed can can buy a product so that they can know where the the police are setting up the radar guns and then like the, the police are like, ah, oh, well, well, we'll make that illegal. And then we'll buy a gun that can detect that radar detector. And then there, and then somebody else comes up with a undetectable radar detector. And then, and then the police move to, well, let's start using a laser. Uh, you know, I, I think that's like sort of a more uh, physical or more historical example of what we're seeing happening in, in terms of how AI is affecting, uh, you know, cybersecurity. And, and I think if you're working on the defense side, you really need to be staying up to date with just how much more sophisticated the tools and the approaches. And even strategically, the hackers can use these LLMs to help them devise strategies to analyze what works, what doesn't, so that they can be more efficient. With All the right. Time. And let, let's begin to wrap up here. I always like to ask my guest for a book recommendation, one that you're reading now or one that you you read often, 
Any any recommendations for the gumbo listeners? So I I I, I uh, the book recommendation one. I read a lot about leadership, and and I'll tell you why. I believe that a lot of the the the, the security folks that I speak to, they're they're almost all. And this is just my circle. Like I say, I don't I don't know hundreds of people that are CISOs, and probably know more like twelve or thirteen that I that I communicate with to some regular cadence. And, and I, what I find is that all of those folks that I speak with are pretty solid in terms of their understanding of the domain and the expertise. Um, where I feel that they struggle is in that leadership. So I, I think, you know, I, I read a lot about leadership. I read a lot about communication in terms of communicating with executives, learn more about board governance, learn more about how the business operates. And, you know, last year I read somewhere in the vicinity of 28, 30 books. Most of them were around leadership. Most of them were around leadership, both starting from yourself. How do you become less emotional? How do you be, get better at communicating, preparing your presentations, um, and just building better practices to get engagement? That's another area where I see a lot of my CISO friends struggle. They're like, yeah, I keep asking people to do something, but they don't do it. It's like, you need to learn the psychology of power because you're not their boss. So you don't have legitimate structural power. So how do you create power in a way where you can influence those people? How are you communicating? How are you going in there and they're interpreting you as the slap in the wrist, right? So, so I don't know if I have a, a specific book. I'd have to, I'd have to go back to my Goodreads and look at what I've reviewed on the different books and you know, happy to share that if you want to drop it in the notes. Like, no, that that was that was great advice. And that's particularly what I was looking for is just some recommendations and also some some best practices and tidbits of of information that can help the gumbo listeners. So I, I really appreciate that. And also before I let you go, I wanted to put a plug in for the backup and recovery professionals group that I run, there's over, I think we're around 20, almost 23,000 professionals now. So backup and recovery storage and even cybersecurity professionals as well are having conversations similar to the ones that we're having here on Data Protection Gumbo. So Darren, I really appreciate the time that you've spent with us today. Well, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed being on the show. It's great chatting with you on the show and beforehand as we Thanks to all your listeners. Definitely enjoyed the experience. And you know, any of you out there that want to connect, by all means, Darren Gallup, I'm on LinkedIn. I think there might be only two other Darren Gallups in the world and they don't work in cybersecurity. So probably pretty easy fellow to find there. So, you know, follow me, add me. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And you know, if 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 you do work in or run security or, or concerned about the security of your business. Um, in your you know small medium even larger businesses now we have some you know look bunch of customers that are you know, well over a thousand employees you can go to carbidesecure.com uh, and check out what we have to offer and uh, you know our, our team is is there they're very very knowledgeable and, and and very responsive if if you need any help or even just want want to you know some feedback uh, you know happy to connect uh, with folks nice well thank you again for being a guest here and uh, until next time everyone stay secure and back up often.